Hello, listening people. Hello. I am Ryan Swinski. I am Bartłomiej Piotr Kasprzyszak, born in Melbourne. I am being very serious straight off the bat because I have an apology to make. Oh, wow. Last episode of our podcast, Spit and Posh Presents, in which we're both spitting and we're both Polish, I made a mistake. I said very proudly on this podcast, and I even made Bartek believe it. You gaslit me. That Bleeding Gums Murphy was voiced by James O. James o. Jones. Oh, my, my doubt was James correct? O. Jones did not voice Bleeding Gums Murphy. I apologize. I got it wrong. It's because James O. Jones literally appears as a cloud in the sky in the same episode, and he's not voiced by James O. Jones a cloud either. It's voiced by Homer Simpson himself. <laughs> I want to get that out of the way because I know everyone's complaining. Every listening person out there is going, Ryan, you done goofed. That wasn't James Earl Jones. He did not do that. He saved himself for click. Okay, that's when he came back for voice acting again. For click. <laughs> <laughs> I goofed it. But that does not negate our podcast existence in which we talk about a film that has come recommended and we are both Polish. Bartek, any Polish facts or Pieces of trivia or knowledge? Um, very close to Poland is a country called the Czech Republic. Hmm. And uh, I think you all better check yourself because we might be talking about it very soon. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. And we... Hey, are... that's good. You should make a rap out of that. All right. I'll make a rap out of it. All right. You've twisted my arm. Straight out of Melbourne. Straight out of Melbourne. <laughs> Yeah, straight out of Brunswick. You know, that's what I would love a title of an album to be called because Brunswick is one of those suburbs in which it's like you're slightly too rich to be having this type of album, but also you're slightly shit enough to. Straight out of the city of Knox. Yeah, and it's hipster city, so. But we're not alone, Bartek. We've dragged some guests in, and I thought they could help us talk about the movie we've chosen, which people can read the title of, and we'll get into the title of the film once we introduce our guests. We are joined for this particular discussion by our good friends over at Chats, a television podcast, Alan and Magellan. Hello, fellas. Hey, comedic film check. You know how (laughs) people do like that on social media but it's also big fit big pants check and then that someone has big pants yeah exactly carnivorous plant check (laughs) sherlock holmes check uh but not really (laughs) uh so uh which ones which introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your show that's alan i'm magellan hey everybody what's going on don't do that same gag every time (laughs) that's same gag every time i was actually (laughs) believing i'm like wait wasn't the other way around yeah you got okay. You it worked got on it. someone. I'm happy. I'm Alan. Hi, everybody. Miluite, which is Czech for I love you. And um, I'm here with my best friend, Majan, uh, who's the other Hi. one with the big, the big pants, I'm big the pants check. With the big pants check. Yeah, that's me. And um, we talk about television and we've been doing it for about six years on our podcast, Chats, a television podcast. And what type of TV have you guys delved into and what are you covering currently? Well, we just love ourselves some cult classic TV shows in particular. Right now, we're enjoying the heck out of Twin Peaks, and we've also enjoyed such hit shows as Babylon 5, Farscape, The Newsroom, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, Avatar The Last Airbender, Freaks and Geeks, Pushing Daisies. Fuck, I forget them every single time, but that's most of them. (laughs) That's Um, most of them. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice. We talk about Pride and Prejudice, Roots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there we go. That's the, the, The Prisoner. Um, yeah, we talk about TV on a uh, cult classic television Better shows Ted, on our fun yeah. show. Oh, classic. 
Totally forgot about it, but classic. You guys cover them in two episodes at a time, usually, unless with your Twin Peaks coverage that you're currently going through, you guys have kind of alternated every now and then, depending how deep the episode is. Yeah, we're in Twin Peaks The Return now, and those episodes are kind of long, so we're doing one a week, sometimes two, sometimes we'll throw in something a little extra, but that's what we're doing right now. Usually two a week, though, if you go into the backlog. Well, that's fantastic. So for the listening people out there, we are covering a Czech or Czechoslovakian film. We're covering a film that was made during the era in which this was Czechoslovakia. Uh, Bartek, this film has a lot of titles. I'm going to go through some of the titles for us, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you can go through the original Czech title to the best of your ability, because after all, Bartek does speak Polish, but I'm... Czech and Polish are different, but bleed over a lot. Yes, I'm the one with the foreign name, so I'll do the foreign title. <laughs> I could try. <laughs> go uh, ahead. No, I won't. And so, and then Bartek, you can tell us the, the the Polish title. So here's the many titles. Dinner for Adele. Adele's dinner. Adele hasn't had her dinner yet. Nick Carter in, in, in Prague. Adela has not had supper yet. Those are the titles. Which one did you guys get? Adele we, has not um, had supper yet. Yeah. I, I has Has not had her supper yet. Adele hasn't had her dinner yet or supper yet. See, lots of different titles. This movie has a lot of different ones. Bartek, what is the Polish one? Oh, what is the Czech one? We should get Czech first because, you know, it's not as good as your Polish. So Yeah, so I, I don't quite know how to pronounce the last word, but uh, it's Adela jeste never, never cerela. Mm-hmm. Uh, Makes it sound Italian when I say it like that. There's a character in the film who who literally says it, so maybe we want to edit in that audio if you can <laughs> yeah, be bothered. Sure. <laughs> and the Polish title is Adela jeszcze nie jadła kolacji, which essentially means like Adele uh, has not yet eaten, I think, kolacji's supper. So, so that's in Polish. Yep. And do you roughly know the the the? Is it similar-ish with the with the Czech? Do you do you know if it, the bleed over of what that translates into? Um. Well, yeah, like I said, I don't know that the last word from the Czech title, but that second word, the jeste versus jeszcze, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty similar. So that tells me immediately, like, oh, both titles have like, you know, still has not yet is mm. that that kind of thing's roughly in the title. I we we always usually call the film Dinner for Adele just because it rolls off the tongue, but yes, it rolls off the tongue, and I think that's the one it's marketed to in Australia. When I look up the movie. It says dinner for Adele, but then when I press on IMDb, because IMDb is an American-based thing, yeah, yeah, it has one of the many other titles that we've just rolled off between all of us. So this is a Czechoslovakian film. If people have not seen this film, give it a watch. If you're in the US or some other places, it's on Amazon. If you're needing to find it elsewhere, you can easily get a DVD copy of it. That's where I watched it, Bartek. You watched it off a streaming site yourself of a different variety. Yep. And so so all of us here will be talking about the same movie, but also different because I think all of us may have differing, varying degrees of what the subtitles gave us. Yeah, I mm-hmm. gave mm-hmm. you guys the chance of like, if it's over on Amazon, watch it because uh, to go into a little background on a in a previous discussion and review of on this podcast, we covered a film by the same people called Lemonade Joe, and our American guests said that was on Amazon, and they were pleased with the transfer and the subtitles of it. And I was like, well, if the other films are there, then maybe they're of the same quality or variety. 
don't know, don't care, I have the DVD, I've looked after myself, basically. Yep. <laughs> and so we're going to be talking about You've this You've had your supper. I've had my supper, yes. And so we're going to be talking about this movie in depth and spoilers, so if people have not seen this film... Go watch it. It is definitely something you have not seen before, most likely. It has some things that we could talk about what it relates to, but the way this film comes together is something you should treat yourself to, is, yeah. is the sentiment that I always say with these Czech films. So, you've been warned. Let's get into uh, history or familiarity with with this uh, Alan Magellan, would it be presumptuous of me to believe that you guys had never even heard of this, let alone seen it? Uh, that's a fair assumption to make. <laughs> what are you talking about? I've been watching this film annually since I was a child. It's one of my favorite... Con- I've never heard of this film before at all. I'm lying. No, yeah, no, I don't know how to stop once. So I, I ask this whenever we've covered a Czech film, which is just the once now twice. Since you guys have not seen this, what are the type of uh, what are the countries or type of foreign films that you guys uh, attach yourselves to more often than not? Well, Rai Rai, in the immortal words of uh, that one hilarious commercial from the eighties, ah, the French. I love me a good French film. Um, <laughs> I love Japanese films. I also uh, enjoy uh, several Chinese language films. Those are the, the three big ones for me. I studied Italian for a couple years in college, and uh, my dad is a big film guy, and he particularly likes uh, Italian films. So that's sort of, if I'm of my own volition seeking out a foreign language film, it's probably going to be Italian. And do you guys have any particular type of uh, genres or stories or uh, set piece type things that you get drawn to for these countries in particular like do you like watching a French comedy like do you like comedies from France or the action of Hong Kong or stuff like that where where do you guys land with all that yeah I think um, it, it that's a great question because it's it's country specific right I think uh, Chinese action and romance films particularly also oh I forgot to mention I love K-dramas and m- most things that come out of South Korea um, but uh, yeah usually like romance or action uh, and then when it comes to Europe, I tend to lean more in the like experimental, artsy, uh, adventure films, uh, usually with an injection of comedy, which I would say uh, also kind of lines up with what this movie is. Fair enough. What about you, Magellan? Yeah. I think for me, um, I if I'm watching something comedic in another language, I get kind of anxious that I'm like missing layers of something um which cultural is cultural context yeah i'm missing context i'm missing like wordplay and things like that um like there was a particular moment in this one where luckily the wordplay was the same in czech it seemed like as it was in english where the guy's like my my dog is missing and it's like yeah i know the dog is missing no my sausage is missing and it's like <laughs> okay i caught that one cuz we call them dogs also um, but yeah, that's why I usually prefer watching something that's more dramatic because I, I don't, I f- don't think that I'm like missing something, but really something that's like mostly visual. And I think what's really cool about this movie is that it has a lot of visual gags and, uh, it's really a movie that like, even if you were just to spend the time watching it without the subtitles on you would still 
get a lot out of the imagery of it and, and things like that. So I was pleasantly surprised by by this film. Vartek, people have heard our relationship with foreign cinema. You're a big Bollywood fan. You are the Bollywood, India in general type of movie view when it comes to foreign cinema. And you also like your Japanese stuff in relation to animation more than live action. We've talked about that recently when we did Confessions and how we both feel like we need to brush up on Japanese cinema of the live-action variety more than we actually do yeah, have yeah. in our catalogue. In general, I try to have, like, a slight international spread. Like, I haven't seen a film from every country, but, you know, every second time I recommend a film on this podcast, I try to make it non-American just to, you know, put up a bit more variety. Mm. Um, and I think my next one is also going to be one of those, so I have to get the noggin thinking. Um I like that Magellan brought up a really good point about uh, comedies in other languages. Why are you laughing? Nothing. Nothing. I think he called him him Magellan. Oh, sorry. I I made a mistake. Magellan. No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. He's Magellan to me, too. You can call me Beer Tech or something if you want. (laughs) Magellan Ferreira. Go on. Um, Okay. There is a sort of danger when it comes to watching uh, comedies in languages other than the one that you speak, because, yeah, there might be very specific wordplay stuff going on that, you know, you might miss, and it takes, like, a really good localization to get that to come across. So, like, even if they didn't call them, like, dogs, uh, the hot dogs, dogs in their language, you know, that might have been a localization choice just to make it more sense for us. Um but because you and I, Ryan, we've seen, I think at this point, four Czechoslovakian films. All by the same filmmaker. Yeah, we've tended to notice that visual comedy is a really big part of these kind of films. Yeah. And it's always been something that we've been drawn to whenever it's like, hey, we're going to go watch another one. Like, Lemonade Joe was a big one for that. Like, so many of the laughs in that film is just the things that you see happening. Mm. You even had the famous quote once online of like, a man eating a fiddle in any language is funny. Yes, yes, because in Lemonade <laughs> Joe, uh, a guy eats this old man's fiddle in front of him and the old man weeps at this happening. And that's funny without subtitles. So, you know, that I works. hate it when that happens. I <laughs> hate it when that happens. Yes, the old man cried, my fiddle, my fiddle. And you laugh even at that, yeah. Yeah. If, even if it's not subtitles. Yeah, when it comes to foreign cinema, I'm South Korean. That's where a lot of my uh, yeah. tastes lie. I have more of them in my catalogue. The French cinema is a complete blind spot for me. I've only seen a handful, and even then, I haven't been too bowled over by what I've seen, but I've always wanted to give more of a shot to it, because there are some French comedies that I I do enjoy. I'm forgetting the name of it, but there's that one particular filmmaker in the 60s and whatever who, who did like a whole slew of great comedy films that uh, inspired David Lynch, just to go to Twin Peaks for a moment there, where he's like Mr. Hulett's Day Out or whatever it is, also inspired Mr. Bean, where that's visual, there's not a lot of wordplay, it's just slapstick and visual affair, but yeah, I, when it comes to foreign cinema, I always lean towards genre-heavy set-piece movies because I love seeing foreign interpretations of genres that I am familiar with. I like seeing a Russian science fiction movie. I like seeing a Czechoslovakian Western. So I lean towards that and I don't and I, I take it with what I can get when it comes to the translation for humor or for whatever when it comes to subtitles. I just take it on the chin and also just try to admire the visual filmmaking if they have anything in particular. And I think we all can kind of agree, or we can talk about at least, how this film in particular, Adela hasn't had her supper yet, or Dinner for Adele, whatever title we want to go with, 
it does have impressive filmmaking. The cinematography, the choices of shots, and the visuals of the costumes, the the choice of the actors and how they look, the set pieces, is very impressive even if you don't speak the language. And that's one of the main factors to my enjoyment of, of what I've seen of Czech cinema, as you've mentioned, Bartek. So, our history with this film is uh, pretty simple. When we were in university, you and I, Bartek, collaborated, made a play together, and we decided we wanted to make, wanted to make a Soviet Western. We didn't even know if those existed. Westerns made by the USSR. And so I did some Googling, and I found a film called Lemonade Joe from Czechoslovakia. And we fell in love with Lemonade Joe. We've covered it on the podcast. I won't go over that ground again. And that, of course, led us to wonder, can we find more films from this filmmaker? And and filmmakers tangential to this, and with actors in this. And I've seen uh, a few outside of just this director as well. Uh, Like, there's a famous uh, Baron von Munchausen adaptation that is one of the most beloved versions of that story that's from Czechoslovakia, in which Baron von Munchausen is played by the bad guy in this movie, the evil Uh, scientist. Right, right. Who is, I would say, out of our cast of actors here in, in, in Czechoslovakia, or Czech Republic, one of the most prolific actors of that time, or like the most notable of the cast here. He is at least has a catalogue of work that's quite reputable. And so we found this as the second film. Yeah. I saw the poster on IMDb, which is a bowler hat with a gun pointing out of the top of it, and I said, I want this movie. I didn't care. I didn't really read the plot. I saw it was science fiction genre, and I was like, oh, I'm interested in that. And it kind of relates to science fiction in minor, minor ways, but this is a detective story, and this is a monster movie in a in a way as well. And Barta, can you recollect for us all what it was like when we first watched this and our relationship in terms of we've only watched this once until now. This is our yeah. first rewatch. This was, yeah, this was another case of us you know, having watched a film and then letting it stew for a few years before revisiting it and also revisiting it on the podcast to have a discussion. Um, I remember it was a movie night. Mm. I know a couple of our friends were there. I know our friend Will was there for a while. Mm. A friend of ours, Reese, was there for a while because I talked to him two days ago and he said he was there. And a couple of others who I'm forgetting. Um... And I don't, I didn't remember too many details from the film, but there were just like little things that stuck around for, you know, all these years of like, and a lot of them being visual gags, like we Mm. were talking about. Um, I didn't quite remember how the full film like kind of structured together. So it was all, it was quite a magical journey watching the film again, just to see all these little things of like, oh yeah. Because I also remember that like we thought this was like, you know, second from Lemonade Joe in terms of our enjoyment of the ones Mm -hmm. that we've seen. It's like- there has to be a reason for that that I'm forgetting. And yeah, there's like you said, there's just so many elements here, like costuming, the looks of the characters, the music. The, the plot itself. The plot itself. A lot of very funny visual gags that, yeah, kind of elevates it to that degree. So when you picked it again last week, uh, I was very happy. <laughs> and now you can have your supper. Yes. <laughs> uh, Alan, what was your experience with this film? You walked in, you didn't know about it. Did you know anything about it before then? Like, did you even look up the plot or did you know it was a Czech film? Like, what was your experience walking into it and then walking out after? I I did a little tiny bit of research just to know. And I, I figured with the context that you had recommended us actually on the chat's Patreon, um, that pirate, that very fun pirate film. 
uh, that we liked a lot. And I thought that this was more of a recommendation like, well, you guys like that. So I think you would like this as well. And we could have fun talking about it. Yeah, the Bob um, Hope film Princess and the Pirate. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and it definitely felt similar to that where it's like, oh, this is satire. Some of which is dated. Some of most of which is is it holds up very, very well. Um, I thought it was very lighthearted and charming. Um, I really like this main character. And I think like most good comedies, this film works on the back of its good ensemble. Um, and that stuff translates over language and culture. Doesn't require much prior knowledge. Even the fact that it's like a satire of a real uh, character in books uh, at the time. Um, that joke doesn't, you don't need to know that. But, you know, when all the people talk about like, oh, my favorite like books are like Nick Carter books. And you're like, wait, do you mean? And then you look it up and it suddenly makes perfect sense. Here's um, a signed yeah, picture of Sherlock it. Holmes at the beginning. They're good friends. Exactly. Yeah. Right. He's friends with everyone. <laughs> He's friends with everyone. <laughs> what about you, Magellan? How, what was your experience like walking in and walking out? I think I before I started, I just read the summary on Prime Video which makes it sound like more of a kind of straight up movie than it is. Um, Unbeatable private detective Nick Carter is coming to Prague to solve a case the local police do not know about. He's armed with a brilliant brain and the latest breakthrough inventions. Like this really is burying the lead in terms of like the tone of, of the film. And so when it starts with like the guy trying to roll a bomb into his trash bin and then he like uses psychic powers to disable the other guy or whatever. Yes. It's like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. And then, um, and then, yeah, I, like Alan was saying, I didn't know that Nick Carter was an American, like dime novel, uh, private detective and looked it up in the middle of the movie which just adds this layer of like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see the aspects of like American culture that struck a chord with the folks who made this movie, given that like, I'm sure Nick Carter was a big character in the 1880s mm-hmm. in, in New York city. But since then, I don't know that many people have been talking too much about Nick Carter around these parts. No. Um, so nor the backstreet boy either yeah yeah right um so i enjoyed the genre pastiche i enjoyed that kind of like little twinge of historical context made it fun for me and there are also just some like genuinely like kind of sublime beautiful visual choices that were you know i i saw on the wikipedia page when i was reading it over that the the director it's like oh this guy's like mel brooks or whatever and mel brooks is great and also mel brooks doesn't really like do beautiful things quite as often outside of young as... frankenstein i would say i agree with your sentiment that young frankenstein he went out of his way to really capture that imagery but yeah i agree yeah and, and there's just moments in this movie where it's like oh wow i kind of want to like pause on this and look at it, it just like looks really yeah nice or cool um and so that that was something that i ended up enjoying uh out of this as well yeah it was a revisit for me and weirdly enough because this week in my life and in melbourne in general has been a particularly busy one there's been restrictions lifting and so 
my mm, joy and expectations of this hasn't been in my mind. And Bartek was having a little trouble finding some information or something rather. He wanted to double check subtitles or whatever, and so or a thing before the film or whatever. And so I put my DVD in and I saw the menu and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I put it on and literally just the opening credits is all I like scanned through. And I was immediately like, oh, I can't wait to watch this tomorrow. Yeah. It instantly <laughs> captured my mood. And I was like, I'm in. I can't wait. And I was talking to my wife, Rachel, when we were out last night getting dinner. I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to get home and watch watch dinner for Adele. I'm really excited. And uh with my copy in particular, uh, the DVD that I have, at the beginning of the DVD, there's a bunch of text that appears to let me know that this particular copy of the film has been lovingly restored. They had the original negatives of the film, the original sound from the film, and that it was a joint venture between the Czech Republic and Iceland. And it seemed like it was a big effort to get this film to look really nice and really pristine and to make it really, really uh, available to people to see in an optimal quality. And it's a DVD. This isn't a Blu-ray. And this is one of the most gorgeous, sharpest image movies I have in my collection. And it's just a DVD. This isn't a Blu-ray. This isn't a HD DVD. This, This is just this. And because... Evidently, we talk about like there's things that we don't know because we aren't from the culture. When I see that, and I see that they've put so much effort in, it lets me know that this film, which is a, a cute little oddity to us and something that we like and enjoy, this means something to the culture of the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia, enough in which this effort was put in to get the original negatives and to get the sound and... You guys, having covered TV shows and talked about movies, as have we, Bartek, we know that even big studio American projects don't lovingly take care of the original negatives and stuff in which we'll forever be left with lackluster transfers or medium level whatever. We aren't going to get... There's so many films and TV shows in which that, that stuff is lost to the sands of time, and yet here... Dinner for Adele, a movie about a guy who's so angry that his teacher flunked him, (laughs) became a criminal madman and is feeding people to plants. That was so important that they've kept all of this stuff here so that they can lovingly bring it back to life for new viewers to enjoy. And I think that's something that I really appreciated on the rewatch is in the filmmaking and the acting, and just the general presentation of the movie, this was something that people wanted to make. That's the feeling I got throughout the whole entire thing of, this is... Well, you know, Bartek, we've watched Ed Wood on the podcast, that film Ed Wood. Mm -hmm. One of the things we love about Ed Wood is the character of Ed Wood has these ambitions, and he wants to make the film because he wants to make it, but he doesn't have the budget, and he's a shit filmmaker. I get that attitude here, but these guys know how to make films, and they actually can do the things <laughs> that these ambitious filmmakers wish they can do, but they can't. How was it for your rewatch experience of this, Partang? Yeah, uh, even though this film feels and looks very different to you know Lemonade Joe, I did get that same sense of passion and sincerity in the performances, like especially with a lot of the the female characters. <laughs> in both films, they feel to a very exaggerated extent like cutesy and childlike and 
and just played completely straight, like and but a very very overarched as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, that that same feeling came through here in a lot of different ways. Like like we've said that the visual comedy is very similar, even though it feels very different. Um, yeah, it 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 was you were seeing passion on screen, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, Magellan brought this up, and I wanted to... Uh, this is also another reason I really wanted to get you two on for this as well, is the foreign culture interpreting and transforming the American way or the American film or the American character. That's a huge part of my enjoyment of it. But I'm I'm a non-American. Like, I get your films, and they're still... And they're the you know, the standard of, 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 uh, of cinema, but even I have a level of separation from what that is because we're in Australia. I was wondering what it was like for you guys, if you could delve into it further of how you felt and what things you like or didn't like or, 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 or the stuff that you got out of seeing a Czech film from the 70s kind of take this American thing and transform it into something different. Yeah, I, I think the thing that's kind of um that was really interesting about it for me is that it doesn't really feel like an american thing like nick carter as a character has been so eclipsed in popular culture by sherlock holmes for example that this sort of like turn of the century detective guy doesn't feel like an american construct really and so to me like i'm sure if i if i were to watch you said lemonade joe was a western yeah right if i were to watch that film i'm i'm sure it would feel a little more like okay there's something that i have a closer familiarity with and i'm seeing it being reinterpreted that's how i feel about like you know watching um fistful of dollars or you know those those movies spaghetti westerns um but but yeah the nick carter character doesn't really feel necessarily like an american character although there there although there are certain moments like when he chops a chair <laughs> in half or whatever and that feels like i'm being made fun of a little bit i don't know the so impervious it, it, americana man who's gone overseas and he's proven that he's smarter than everybody else right and yeah all that stuff that he does and something about the way that the the most that I felt like this is a funny sort of outsider perspective was like that opening sequence where it's like New York, oh, yeah. the greatest city in the world. And like uh, it's kind of portraying these like, you know, class struggles and 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 kind of there's anarchists with their bombs or whatever in the 1880s and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, it, it felt like I was a bit of an outsider to it as well, because this is this is just an archetype that in American popular culture has been supplanted by like Batman, you know. <laughs> um, he does yeah. have a Batman like outfit later, and the gadgets, you know, all that stuff. Too. I, I I kept saying Inspector Gadget, but definitely Inspector Gadget. Yeah. To Magellan's point, I mean, hell, westerns are what we think of as like traditionally American, quote unquote, American films, and it brings me to me this idea of like what defines an American film because spaghetti westerns. Uh, primarily directed by uh, Italian directors. So, like, this is that's that's America filtered through Italy. This is America filtered through uh, the Czech Republic, Czechoslovakia at the time. So, 
it doesn't like what John's saying, like gumshoes as a concept are not inherently American. Sherlock Holmes is British. Like this is all yeah. culture is is shared between different countries and, and America in particular borrows a lot and owes a lot to, to Europe, honestly, for a lot of it's what we think of as like American crime fiction. So, yeah, it all looks around. That's all true. And I think uh, another factor to it is this genre, right? We don't think of, oh, I wonder what the Czechoslovakian take on a Sherlock Holmesian story would be. That's not immediately <laughs> jumping to your mind, but you have to say, but there must be, right? Because the whole I, world. There must I think, be. <laughs> yeah, I think another part of it is like, the thing about a Western is that there's a place in the world where Westerns take place, right? They take place in the West, the American West. And detective stories just take place in cities this doesn't even happen in the united states yeah or trains or or whatever that's the case of the epilogue yeah right (laughs) yeah they they just take nick carter the character and they say okay and he's gonna go to prague so that like we can all speak the language that we want to speak also isn't prague great look at prague prague's pretty great that's another They spent like 15 minutes being like, God, the beer in Prague is the best. We'll talk about that. That's one of my favorite sequences in the movie. I love that sequence a lot. But Bartek, you're 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 a fan in minor ways of your your you know, the detective story. We all kind of have our thing mysteries, about yeah, yeah. your mysteries. And recently, you know, people have been heralding Ryan Johnson for reintroducing the world to what an Agatha Christie type mystery is with Knives Out and shit like that. Or, oh, it reminds me of, and people are now drooling over Columbo. Ooh. And I'm like, yeah, I know what Columbo is. But how do you feel about seeing this Czech take on a familiar genre? Because when we did Lemonade Joe, we talked about the Western. We're fans of Western, and it was interesting to see the 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 Czechs have a real deep passionate love for westerns, especially with Lemonade Joe westerns from the silent era. What what do you think about uh, dinner for Adele? Or Adele hasn't had a supper yet. Uh, in way of telling this type of story. Yeah. So the whole Nick Carter thing, like you told me, Ryan, that it was a real thing, and this is like loosely based on that. Um, even you know, putting that aside. You could just look at this film and say, like, oh, it, it's a Sherlock Holmesy type story. You know, you got the uh, infallible lead detective. He's got his assistant, who mm. we see twice, but he has a main assistant throughout that kind of fills that role. Mm. Um, he's Watson, yeah. He's Watson. So even just with that general thing, like, I, I haven't seen all that many Sherlock Holmes things myself. I've seen, you know, maybe the Guy Ritchie films and probably just like general pop culture references to it, things like that. Um, and yeah, all of the kind of things from that feel like they're here. Like he's got like, you know, the technology that's kind of a bit ahead of its time that he uses to help to solve cases. Um, the intellect, the intellect, um, and it, it, for this film, which is very, you know, kind of farcical comedy, like it's greatly exaggerated as one of us has said, you know, like 10 minutes ago, he randomly has psychic powers for like five whole seconds of the film before he even has his first line of dialogue, before the first line of dialogue of the film, even. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's this really exaggerated thing, and exaggeration is a very, very key dramatic element. Having seen Lemonade Joe and having seen this and a couple of others, I think the Czechoslovakian people at the time wanted to really take America down a peg because. 
There's this thing of in both <laughs> movies, in all movies, they have the perfect Americana hero who's blonde-haired or, you know, looks uh-huh. perfect, but and they've got everything going for him. And, and their but, names are Joe or Nick. Yeah, and in this, <laughs> everything, like his tech, all of his great stuff, usually fails and usually is more of a hindrance <laughs> than a help. And people Yeah, or it keep- just looks so goofy <laughs> yeah, right yeah. it's hilarious and uh the typical he's coming to the foreign land and he's learning it by reading a book and wearing this absurd outfit and it's like you're known for your disguises that's how i knew how to find you <laughs> and all of that type of stuff and lemonade joe has a i think a far more scathing critique of of american culture with lemonade joe being a, a capitalist scum dog but here i i found that was another aspect of what i liked is they've got this nick carter character and he comes in and he's so eloquent and he's like look at me i fight and do the chop chop and all of that and then by the end of the movie one of the gags that got me the most was the bicycle has fallen apart while they're running after the bad guy and they're like what do we do now hmm and it's like quick click of the fingers and then we cut to him on the front of we don't know what yet and he's going relatively fast and then we widen out and it's the uh his his uh his uh, second pushing him along on a on a little wheelbarrowy thing and it's like by this point you could just run it would be faster if you ran both of you yeah. ran and it's like yeah. still but it's treating it like look at him this good old nick carter he's after the bad guy that the bad guy cuts him off the hot air balloon and they have this exchange of dialogue while he's falling where it's just like having a good time down there actually i'm doing quite well thank you bye and, it's like, <laughs> and you know and he falls down and he doesn't even at the end another person arrests the bad guy and they're like, hey, look what I did. And he's just like, ah, okay, off I go to another place. Like everyone in Prague, except for the guy next to him, the, his second, his, his local guy, don't think like, don't ever really acknowledge or get to see that he actually did stuff. They just went, oh, he kind of farted about and then we solved it at the end. He just was around, I guess. <laughs> like nobody acknowledges in Prague that Nick Carter actually engaged in any plot once it's done. For them, the bad guy just fell into their lap and they're like, arrest done. <laughs> and then the bad guy gets away. <laughs> I also my favorite bit of that sequence is one of the running gags of the movie is that Nick Carter keeps like taking out gadgets from famous friends of his like thomas edison or alfred nobel or whatever yeah tom edison and then (laughs) and laser and then and then he's got uh just like a ray gun a solar rifle (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then his buddy is like uh well this is from my friend dagger and it's just a dagger on a dagger oh i laughed out loud (laughs) that was pretty good capper to that running gag uh, I want to talk about the opening of the movie because uh, Bartok, we haven't talked about this, but since we've seen a few of his films, I've started to note down that every single film we've seen from this director has an opening and an ending that indicates like this is a show that you're, this is a thing, this is a movie, this is a this is a piece a of franchise. opera, this, this is, is a an book. Ongoing. Thing, yeah. It's an ongoing motif in his works, and I found when I first watched this, I was like, "Oh yeah, there's like a guy conducting," and then at the end, it ends with him. But I was really blown away, and I wanted to hear all of your reactions because I forgot this. The movie just does its opening credits like normal, and then 
uh, it's like a frame or two just juts in with music and then it goes away again. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like it starts to take over the opening credits and then it just becomes that fully. Yeah. I wanted to get uh, what people's thoughts were on that because those are the kind of creative choices that lure me in when it comes to these movies. Like, what a weird choice. Or when we have the flashbacks and they're semi-movement and then they're semi-photos and then when she starts crying, the whole image starts to shake until it fades away. I love those type of choices. And I wanted to hear from you guys, Alan and Magellan, first. What did you think of, like, those type of filmmaking choices and, like, how it introduces straight from the beginning? Yeah, I I think something that's really fun about this film is that it presents as if it's a comedy from like the forties or fifties or something like that. And is kind of, you know, in certain ways making you think of those maybe more conventional films or certainly those films like are comedic in a conventional way that you can predict. And then it just makes like unconventional choices. Um, and that was the first one for me where it's like, okay, cool. So anything can happen. Um, like the, the very kind of medium of the film itself is part of what's going to be played with. It's not just that like, we're always going to be in a set that has a sort of consistent fiction to it. And um, that sort of thing. It's like, okay, the, the physical film or or whatever it was that they're cutting up and chopping together to make the movie is kind of like a part of this and is going to be futzed with and tinted different colors and spotlights um, and stuff. Yeah. And, and we just watched an episode of twin peaks, the return that kind of did some similar stuff where like there are certain scenes that are totally tinted purple or like, for some reason, this scene like stutters forward and then goes backward. And there's like ways in which there's like, you know, wildly surprising, beautiful visuals. And then just sort of like a cheesy gag two minutes later. And um, uh, yeah, so I, I just liked that this film had the permission to make whatever choices it felt like making. And wasn't really boxed in by any sort of convention that that I could identify, at least. Right. It lets itself be super weird. And also just, you know, we have to acknowledge when I think about like what modern films of this type look like, um, we do have a lot of franchises now, but it's no longer a joke that things are eternally running franchises. They just are that. And what I love about the intro to this film is it's confident enough to be like, you all know Nick Carter, American detective from the books. Well, here's him speaking in Czech, and he's been around forever. And not only does it go through the title <laughs> sequence, but go <laughs> like through eternity, we've had Nick Carter or something. Um, and then yeah. in the intro, I think the I read a review actually of this film right before we started that said that what's truly funny about the first scene when he's in the in the office and everyone comes at him is it feels like it's season five of a detective show and it's like, oh, mask guy, oh no, bomb guy, you're back and I defeat you again. And like, none of these are real villains. <laughs> They're all made up. It's you mean incredible. You, don't, that, you don't know the gardener? <laughs> Axe guy, you fell for the magnet trick again. <laughs> all that stuff with the gardener trick. where, all the stuff where he's like, wait, I thought you died in the swamp. And it's like, what are you talking what? about? The swamp? Well, they show you it. Well, we've got a flashback, yeah. <laughs> flashbacks from both perspectives, which I thought was a really cool, like, 
again, we're talking about a comedy film. Mm-hmm. And in the context of modern comedy films that we see, which are usually American films, the filmmaking, the visual shots, like the choice yeah, of they're showing... they're not making choices like this. They don't make choices. They don't make films. They just shoot things. That's the difference. There's the, just the shot of uh, the bad guy, his perspective of drowning, and just that amazing image that you feel like you would have seen on a book cover back in 1901 of of uh, of Nick Carter standing in the in the outfit with the hat just looking at him glaring at him as he drowns in front of him yeah, and then we get the other perspective shot and you see the bad guy and he's like flailing and he looks silly and it like completely recontextualizes the scene and yeah yeah like that stuff is yeah, really good that they that they keep playing around with it. Yeah, and uh, considering we don't get too much context about that prior, you know, few seasons ago journey that he was on, the mise-en-scene of both those flashbacks, like, you know, he's in a swamp, a jungly-looking environment, he's wearing, like, this uh, safari uniform, you get a sense of, like, okay, he's in, like, a humid place. Like, I could see sort of what, you know, what this environment might look like beyond the area we're seeing. So yeah, it, on the shot. It yeah. leads, it lends itself to some credibility that, like, oh, yeah, this is actually a chunk from some existing story. <laughs> to, to, further, to further touch upon your point, Alan, I want to pass it back to you, is we meet his partner at the very beginning, and it shows an image from a book or whatever of his partner. And then the partner does not show up again until the very end of the movie. And he just runs in the back and says, you got another case. It's like, when did you come here? And the Where movie, are you here? And the movie treats are like, we all know him. We he, all know this guy. He dealt with the King's Gang for sure. I, yep. I've seen him. He's 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 capable yeah, of doing King's that. Yeah, the King's Gang arc <laughs> happened and we didn't see it. But you know what happened. We all know the King's Gang arc yeah. happened. This is this is the episode of the series where like that actor was busy so he's not in it that much, but he yeah, still had like yeah. one or two appearances. Yeah, yeah, and I love I love what you're talking about there, Alan. Yeah, it, it is interesting how the film plays around with that. And I'm curious why does that work here? Why isn't this annoying or too abstract or too bizarre? Because this isn't something we're used to seeing. It doesn't take itself too seriously and it doesn't ask you to take it seriously. From minute one, when we have that, like the ragtime music cutting into the orchestra, um, you know that like, okay, this movie is playing with convention. It's trying to be silly. Every movie that tries to do stuff like this these days takes itself extremely seriously. And I think like, to end your epilogue, to end the epilogue of your film with like, ah, yes, my sidekick, thank you for returning, off to another adventure. That doesn't happen, uh, mind you. It's just so, that's so confident. And the movie asks you to be like, yeah, you know what? I accept it. I accept your confidence and I, and I want to be part of that. Well, I think for me, I also was more willing to enjoy that knowing that Nick Carter is like a pre-existing character that they're doing a riff on. Because, like, that's also the sort of thing that I allow when I go see, like, Zorro or Sherlock Holmes or something like that. Like, you, sure, you can say that you just were doing something else or this is my friend. All right. Yeah, I probably missed that one. And that's kind of the vibe here where it's like, maybe there really is a Nick Carter story about a swamp or something. I'm willing to believe that I just am not familiar with it. Yeah, it's like when I watched WandaVision. I watched WandaVision and I had not seen Ant Man <laughs> and the Wasp. And that and that shows like you really needed to fucking see Ant Man oh, and the God. Wasp to understand like seventy percent of what's going <laughs> on. I'm like shit, I didn't realise so Ant Man and the Wasp was essential to a story about the vision and Wanda who was who's not in that movie. So I get that, like I think 
I just want to clarify. I just want to touch upon something that Alan said, which is this doesn't take itself se- serious. This is silly. But uh, one of the things that I always talk about with comedies and what makes the- these type of comedies that are silly work is there's still artistic integrity to it. They're not just goofing off and making shit up and flying off. The- there's an intent behind the silliness. There's a sense of internal consistency from a creative yeah, standpoint. Random behind it isn't it isn't just random bullshit nonsense that's being thrown at you all of the time there's logic within the madness here that we we can all understand hence it isn't just a gibbering mess of 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 craziness that it doesn't have a, a consistency of comedic tone and vision and i always appreciate that from these czech films is there is there's a there's a there's a deliberate tact that they're taking here with this and i kind of like this film a bit better than lemonade joe in terms of it actually cares about the story there's a story here there's a plot there's a narrative there's a mystery to be solved there's character dynamics there's histories this film cares about that rather than just pastiching genre all of the time there's there's information that's being learned and a camaraderie between our two guys that blossoms throughout the movie that i get drawn to every scene has a clear purpose in developing either the story or characterization yeah Yeah. well ryan you asked the question about like how did you feel about the opening Mm. um i really liked alan's answer to that about how you know it feels like it is in the middle of this existing series and like it's genuine the kind of the laugh i was having before was like oh this this succeeded where the snowman kind of failed didn't it the michael fassbender film the snowman that adapted the seventh book of a series and tried to let us (laughs) like accept it like oh "Oh, yeah i know who who harry hole (laughs) is um and part of the reason why i liked his answer there was because i actually kind of thought the opposite when i was watching the film because it it felt like even if it felt like this is a lived in world and it's giving you like the exact information or the showing you the exact things you need to know to already know where this what this setting is so like you know we get that title card that says like uh the what was the new york title card like greatest the, city on earth greatest city on america on, yeah so like immediate information they're like okay this film loves new york city or the story does then the next title card is nick carter greatest detective in new york so already we've got like okay we've got the greatest detective in the greatest city. This is already setting it up for us. And then we have, like, what feels like two minutes of him not saying a single word, effortlessly dealing with bad guys who are coming to assassinate him. Showing us how great he is. Showing us how great he is in increasingly ludicrous ways, whether it's just, like, a simple flick of the wrist, pour his drink, turn on a magnet, and psychic powers, and it's just, oh, yep, this happens every Wednesday, same as usual. Yeah, this happens all the time. Yeah, it, it, it feels like even if you've, even if you've walked in the middle, you don't know what's going on, it's like, yeah, this, it, it's fully established just from that. And with the actual opening sequence itself, like, you know, you've got the orchestra, and it juts in with the, the ragtime music, and like the, what feels like a musical art interlude things. Yeah. Um, the word I use for that is playful. It's it's telling you that this film, you know, will do serious, dramatic things that, you know, looks very good, plays very seriously, but also is going to do some very silly stuff juxtaposed to that. And that's where a lot of the comedy in this film is. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, Magellan, do you want to go off of your thought that you wanted to bring up? Um, I, I think there's another sort of brand of comedic moments in this film that were some of my favorites um i think my favorite 
scene in the whole movie is we see the gardener guy and he's playing the violin and it's like a pre-positioned violin that's just waiting for him to play it and he's playing it for a jar that has a plant in it that has eyeballs (laughs) and he's like playing this beautiful song on the violin and he eventually (laughs) says uh what is he he says eureka the flowers weeping and yeah she went here i was like i don't want to watch anything else because that was the most like poetic inspiring hilarious thing i've ever seen in my life i and the movie has a few of those things where it's like i don't even know what what you would call that kind of comedic moment but it's just like I loved it so much. Eureka, the flowers surreal, were weeping. <laughs> what did you say? Going out. I think it's, it's it's slightly surreal is the term I yeah. use for that. Like because yeah. it's uncanny and surreal, that's what makes it funny. Yeah, and it's pre- yeah. it's presented in such an artful way, but also it's like this stupid eye. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. But a moment for me that cracks me up in an almost similar way, and it's the moment that Bartek, you and I know, it's the famous moment. Hard cut to something that we've been set up throughout the whole movie, which is I look after my grandfather. He's very ill, and I look after him every night. I give him a rub down. Cut to beautiful interior. He's in bed. They're singing back and forth at one another, and since it's in a foreign language, his little chirpy replies were funny to me because of just how he sounds. And um, and then she's combing his beard tenderly. <laughs> <laughs> and then proceeds to put a pillow underneath his <laughs> underneath his beard that in check says good night and I lose it. I lose it I think, every single time. I think when we first watched the film we actually rewound that. Yeah, bit. I rewound it because I'm like, this is not happening. Is that a fucking pillow underneath this old That's man's beard she put really there? And I lose it every time. Yet it's one of those images in which because this is a period piece, it's like ah uh, this is a foreign film too. I look at it and I go I guess that's a thing. Maybe that they put beard pillows. There's beard pillows. This, this was, and it wasn't so much a comedic line, but like when you have, you know, that entire that scene feels very deliberate. Like there's the singing; it feels genuinely tender. She puts the pillow under the beard, and when Nick Carter enters the room and is like, "Oh, speaking quietly," she's like, "Don't worry, you you can speak normally. He will not wake up." I genuinely believe that. Like, yeah, you, that was such an intricate ritual that you went yeah. through that I could genuinely believe that this guy's not going to wake up for a while. It's funny because my interpretation <laughs> of it was a little bit more and this is maybe me being more pessimistic as well of uh, he's like being respectful and like, I speak quietly and she's like oh no no you can speak now he's fucking asleep you can, we can talk now like it's done <laughs> what do you want to do I don't care we can talk as loud as we like he's gone he's asleep I- I'm done doing the ritual now like that's what my attitude was <laughs> okay, from it as well, sure. just from her demeanor and all of that because throughout the movie she's very I'm the girl and I love kissing and you know all of that <laughs> but then when she's dealing with her grandpa she's like uh, okay like she's having a little bit of a strain there, like this caricature of the wholesome, virginal, white, blonde-haired, perfect girl who's always speaking that rhythm that's like, golly gee, yay! And then every time her grandfather does something, there's a minor strain in that performance and in the dialogue. It's only minor, but it tarnishes the usual purity of, I look after my grandfather and I'm wholesome and pure. Like, it annoys her. 
there's a hint of it annoys her. And I like that. I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> this film's got a lot of funny and striking comedic visuals. Alan, you messaged me beforehand and you said this movie has a lot of striking and funny visuals for you. And I was curious if you wanted to talk about that because I, 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 I was surprised. I'm like, Alan is just immediately let it, letting me know that there's some images that are pretty meme-worthy. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's just certain... <laughs> Like by the time you get to um, Carter is like in full investigator mode with the suit and the grapple hook and all the stuff. Every shot of him trying to look normal is the funniest thing in the world to me. It's like me pulling up to the club and it's him spinning with the helicopter on his head or whatever. And I'm like, there's just there's a lot of like out of context, funny moments that if you just showed somebody in the middle of this movie, they'd be like, what in God's name are you watching? Yeah, the propeller hat bit is way too funny top tier <laughs> top tier i love the mask that part's so good the mask with the thing coming out of the mouth that's the part so that he can smoke yeah. his cigar or whatever. so he can smoke his cigar with the suction cup boots oh what a look what a fit i love when he actually puts on like the chest piece and it's almost like it came out of nowhere and he just puts it on <laughs> it's like this clunky gold thing with uh-huh. like barometers on it and, like all of this stuff with knobs and switches and so like over the top and it's what I like too, it's 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 non steampunky, but it kinda is. And then the movie's like, no, we love solar punk. We got a solar rifle. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> solar punk. Calm, calm down, calm down, movie. That's one, great. One of my favorite visuals that I thought was pretty good in a non-context and in-context way was uh, the romance starts when he gets a butterfly on his hat and she captures the uh-huh. butterfly and it punches her in the face because a, a little hand on a spring comes out and punches her. That was funny. But then the hard cut of the blurry, almost romantic, ooh, I'm waking up, ooh, there's a beautiful man standing over me and he's standing there sternly and stoically with the fist out of the hat and then he slowly puts it back in and i thought that was one of those images that just i'm like if i if i just could if i just screenshot this and sent it to someone i want to know what they think is happening here right presented romantically but then the image itself of him with this cartoon like big rubber fist and then he puts it back. That's got like the typical like zigzaggy spring yeah, yeah. contraption thing out of this bowler hat. I'm like, this is absurd. This is this is the this is the type of shit <laughs> I personally love. Bartek, you and I both love that stuff. Any kind of ones that spring to your mind? Spring on purpose. I did that. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess sort of tangential to you know long things. Um, the scene in the club with the the cat dancing lady, where he he pulls out like the the wire and just it stretches all the way to his partner, and they have to he's like plug it in, he plugs like, it in, and then because he forgot his code name, they have to call each other like just in the middle of the room, like your eagle or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, because he's perfect, of course, no one's going to step on it. He knows just exactly how to take it to his partner. Another another visual I, I also deeply loved, and um, it's physical comedy, 
It's another highlight moment of the movie. Our good friend Will, who we'll hopefully have on next week on the pod, he left right before this moment, and I said, you will regret that choice for the rest of your life, which is at the height of everything going on. The bad guy's trying to escape. His car needs to start. He gets his dwarf henchman to crank it for him, and then he immediately drives over the dwarf and keeps going. <laughs> and then they come over, they're like, are you all right? And then the dwarf's shaking his fist at him, swearing, doing whatever, and then a policeman comes over, grabs him, like a small child and he goes limp and then he starts shaking his fist together and they're like goodbye and then i love the i love a, i love all of the comedy with that dwarf character i always say this movie has two important things an old man gets a pillow put underneath his beard and a dwarf gets run over with an old-timey automobile and it's some of the greatest shit i've ever seen in my life i when i first saw that Tears were rolling down. I, yeah, I remember. I was joking. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, run him over, run him over. I was joking that I was like, because this guy's a bad guy. He's bad, bad, bad. But I was like, run him over, do that. that and I'm like, the movie won't do that because that'd be difficult to do. It'd be no, no. They did it, and I, I appreciate it every <laughs> single day of my life. Every time I think about the Czech movies, that's one of the first images that pops up: is the dwarf getting run over with a car. <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of really interesting things with that character. Like a lot of his scenes earlier on, like. When he runs, they put the film to, like, fast motion to just give it this really silly look. Um, he's constantly, like, coming in and out of the frame in interesting ways. Popping like, uh, up through a table. He, he pops in to, like, pull the, 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 the rug to trip the inspector, then he runs away. Um, the biggest laugh I had with that character was, you know, when he was dressed in, like, the, the suit and the beard, and he's like, can you light this for me? And then after his plan works and the guy's knocked out, one of the other henchmen, like, throw him up and down again like a child. <laughs> Just, I lost it. <laughs> I lost it when he tried to kill uh, the 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 inspector or the commissar, and uh, he the commissar went back and knocked him down the stairs and just went. And you know what? I actually got a comedic laugh out of that was the clincher, which is the this guy, the commissar, the inspector, whichever it is in your subtitles. He's been kind of dopey, but he does the smartest thing in the movie at that point, which is. He realizes something was behind him, knocked down, closes, locks the door. Mm. <laughs> I, I I laughed at just that singular touch. I'm like, good, good that you did that, because other movies would avoid that moment. And I'm like, lock the fucking door. Do that. I loved it. I laughed at that a lot. Yeah. The, the film also um, kind of acknowledges directly kind of the, the child comparison with the dwarf character, because there's one point where Nick Carter and the inspector are looking at like... <laughs> So I'm laughing at the exchange of dialogue about what you're going to be talking about. Go on. <laughs> they're looking at a an actual child like doing graffiti, and they're like, "Oh, that could be the dwarf in disguise. You should go <laughs> down there and watch." And then, obviously, it's not the dwarf. But later on in the film, they have all these childlike things like carrying him like a child, <laughs> throwing him up and down like a child. I even like with that gag. There's a payoff for the kid because he does get a comeuppance. That child, like uh, an adult, comes up and drags him away. Like you bastard, what are you doing? There's even a little payoff. Mm. to this child that's introduced. And yeah. I don't know if it was the exact same child later or the, if it's just a different one. The slingshot kid later in the movie, but I love there's a payoff to that kid as well with the slingshot being the thing that helps save the day with getting the balloon down. Like, this film, one of my favourite comedy things about the movie is setup and payoffs. This movie is beautiful with setups and payoffs and it probably has, in a comedy movie... And also in a comedy movie that has a narrative payoff, my favorite, which is a guy who's always eating food, his little pepper and salt 
saves Nick Carter because he throws it in the mouth of the plants and it makes mm-hmm. it sneeze it back up. And I remember when I saw that, that first time, I stood up and clapped because I was like, oh, you fucking nailed it. That You fucking, you weren't lazy. You took a character trait that I found charming throughout the entire movie. Every time he added that to his food, I found it charming that he had a pocket for each one of them in his, in his waistcoat. <laughs> And I found it immensely satisfying when that was a payoff that helped save the day as well. That was beautiful. Yeah, and and even his constant eating, like, that's how they discovered, like, hey, the plant must have eaten my dog. Yeah, I, I know with, when it comes to some comedy trappings and tropes, uh, Alan Majon, that we've talked about in the past, there are some type of character types that you guys don't like. When we talked about on your Patreon Red Dwarf, uh, Magellan, you were like, I don't like the character's trait where they're just dumb or they just eat all the time. I wonder how you felt about that here because, in my opinion, they took a lot of these kind of character traits and actually utilized them to propel narratives and have payoffs like we're talking about with... This guy's thing is, like, he eats all the time, but it's like, no, that actually is a good thing. Like, it solves crises and actually helps propel the story and gives him a cool little character thing. How did you guys feel about that? Yeah, I I didn't really feel like there was anything like there wasn't surprisingly I didn't feel like there were moments of humor for the most part that like turned me off in that sort of way. Um cuz like you're saying it felt like everything was like story justified or used in a way that you that you wouldn't expect or things like that. So, yeah, I I liked it. Yeah, there there were I recently tweeted uh, to a good amount of positive response my thoughts on the like fat person is evil trope. And so like fat phobia and jokes about people eating a lot always rub me the wrong way. Um, But this is not that I don't actually think that this film has too much that's like outright offensive. Um, It's more of the just general systemic stuff like the women don't get much to do other than be cute or threatened to be assaulted. Stuff like that. Um, Not like outright. Well, the evil. This doesn't hold up. Mm. Or they're evil, right? Which is goals for everybody at the end of the day. That's a, that's good representation for me. Um, and just kidding, of course. But like when I watch Princess and the Pirate, and it's like, oh, some of these jokes are a little bit, little bit rough here and there. But like overall, no, I think this film definitely uh, didn't didn't bother me too much. Was it funny when Adele ate? Yes. Yes. When- <laughs> that's a funny. That's a funny example of a woman eating. Also, like stunning. Yeah, I, I was hoping we got to talk about that. I don't know if you're going to get to that in here. Yeah, let's talk about but... Adele and the special effects and the fact that also this was a real plant that yeah. isn't like a prop they make. That's a plant, and then obviously they fiddle around with uh, special effects and trickeries and all of that later. Yeah, I I completely forgot about how much effort they put in the oral that. oral design. Yeah, like the tongue flicking around. It was actually quite unnerving. I didn't like like I didn't like it, but in the way that I'm supposed to not like it. I'm like, yeah. this is gross. I don't well, This is this is the villain's like device of the film. Yeah. So yeah, that 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 feeling the fact that it was genuine in this comedy was really great. Yeah, and I think cuz this is harkening back to a lot of comedic beats and filmmaking beats of the past the kind of stop starty stop motiony nature of it just feels honest to it like i don't look at it and go ah that's just cheap because like that's just not how they had to do it in the 70s it's like no there's because this is so specific to certain filmmaking styles of the past that just feels like an accurate thing that you would have in a movie like this 
It's like when you watch a modern movie now that's set in the past and they're harkening back to some filmmaking things, but then there's like green screen backgrounds and like CGI and you're like, you've ruined it. You know, I'm out because that's not what these movies were. You've ruined it. Um, What did you guys want to say about when it comes to the titular Adele or Adela? Yeah, I um, ever since we've watched and honestly, long before we watched Farscape, I've always been fascinated by puppetry and puppet work. Um, and also just practical effects in general, even when we on our commentary page chats episode on our Patreon, when we watch Troll 2, you know, say what you will about that disaster of a film. Uh, some of the effects work is still kind of interesting and it's cool to see how it works. Um, but there were shots between like the camera work and just the technical wizardry going on with this with this plant. Um, I was really impressed and kind of like put the comedy out of my mind when it was time to like fight the plant or get eaten by the plant like it genuinely scared me uh it felt realistic but also eerie and the parts where they zoom in and it stop motion look really smooth and good all that stuff is incredibly difficult to create technically the more you learn about it the more it's like the fact that they went to all this effort i believe there was like um an ex like a plant expert on the stat on the set if i'm not mistaken like they they definitely put the effort in and it shows yeah it does no i i agree i mean i it was just you know one of the best stop motion tongues i've i've ever witnessed in my life is it in your top oh, five tongues? tongue i think <laughs> um, it's i i mean it it is like such an eerie tongue that it kind of deserves its own category you know like it, it wasn't like i'm not fond of this of the tongue <laughs> per se but it definitely had an impact on me it was one of the top five most impactful tongues i'll mm. say there's tier one tongues and then there's god tier tongue which i think that's what we're trying to get at yeah know? we're trying to say yeah. that adele is a god yeah <laughs> goddess right. goddess yes goddess to be please, fair please. um when it comes to other comedic moments in the movie we talked about it briefly i love that the beginning of this is i'm going to show you around prague and let you know the importance and it's just getting drunk at this bar and then eating and getting drunk at this one and this one and this one. I love that the film spent spent time on that because it's not needed, but also it made me blossom like 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 with them, the blossoming of their relationship from this montage of them getting hammered together and that they could still continue on. And also like this sense of demystifying Nick Carter, because he's Mr. I'm always on the case, but then he like pisses about getting drunk and eating food and i liked it a lot i liked that the movie had them just eating sausages all the time and and also like narrative wise it is a good bonding experience for him and the inspector and also showing uh all the spies popping up in different locations (laughs) and another thing i really liked is the editing in it it's just it has a rhythm to it the music's building up the choice of camera movements this movie is for me pacing wise pretty perfect like it doesn't feel like it ever really drags and it doesn't waste its comedic load of absurdity at the start like the opening is absurd but the movie just keeps ratcheting it up and ratcheting it up and ratcheting it up until the end in which you have a hot air balloon chase and you're like of course we have to get here and then it's like look i got a solar rifle and like of course you do and dagger saves the day and even the end end the absurdity of the bad guy and the bad lady got away somehow and like they're like off we go and we're on more 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 absurd adventures it's just like they they knew how to savor that moment um did we have a favorite character? 
or favourite performance that leapt out? Anyone in particular that we were drawn to or had the laughs from? Uh, Laddie Medica, Checo, American at the very end. The one who's just the main guy, but in like a different wig or something. Yeah. <laughs> He's my favourite. <laughs> and the spotlight I, comes uh, on him to let us know that he gets with the girl in the end. <laughs> yeah, he kisses her and it's like, yeah, that's the guy. Uh, no, my real answer is, uh, what's his name? I wrote it down. The the the, the, the sidekick. Yeah. The the inspector, the commissar in the local area. Yeah, Ledvina. Yeah. He's very good. Um, what about you, Magellan? Where did you land? Um, I I thought that the main guy was great. The guy who plays Nick Carter. I think he does a good job of like being high status in a way that's kind of lame. <laughs> and <laughs> I always laughed when like a woman would throw herself at him and he'd be like, uh, uh, so uh, I've got to do a case right now. Aren't you a man? Yeah, look, I break things. <laughs> yeah, I loved it when I love the brick wall <laughs> when he broke the brick wall down because we had man so yeah because we had like thirty seconds of these two big guys with hammers just like not affecting it at all. Yeah, and he's like, gah, gah, gah. It's, yeah, <laughs> he he was just really he was really funny. Yeah, he is really good. I like that actor. I like his performance in this, he looks exactly right as well. Like, both of them do. Both of them look exactly right for the part where they've got this real lived-in sense where this guy looks like, yeah, he's the beautiful, handsome, leading man guy, but also he's a bit weird-looking and he's like, mm. leans into the comedy and the stoicism of the character as well. Uh, but my favourite uh, has to be the sidekick as well, the inspector. He, he has all of these comedic payoffs. I liked his uh, attitude in general of, like, Hey, I know the city. I know what's going on. And yeah, I'll go down there and watch it. It gives me a chance to drink. And yet he was rational. He often will save the day. And to to, to go off of Alan's thing about uh, talking about like fat is evil or whatever. It's like, no, he's, he's probably the most heroic person in the movie. He probably saves the day just as many times, if not more so, than Nick Carter, the foreigner who comes over to save Prague from this menace menacing plant man and so i really enjoyed him i I should also say i enjoy the bad guy i love that actor everything i've seen him do he's wonderful because he knows exactly how to chew the scenery like nobody's business he's the tim curry of the movie in terms of he goes way over the top but he does it in a manner that is suitable for the material and doesn't break it bartek we've watched this now twice yep where do you go? Uh, my answer's pretty similar to yours. I, I love Commissar Ledvina. Um, <laughs> for for all of his, you know, uh, naive sidekicky moments and also his surprisingly heroic and, you know, effective means of solving situations. Just the simple gags of him always eating got me. The fact that it helped solve the cases got me. The fact that in the end he was the one that, like, shot down the balloon after we had the big build-up of you know, the solo gun from Laser or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, oh no, a cloud got in the way. <laughs> in my subtitles, something like, are even the heavens against me or yeah, something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, But I meant visually, it shows a cloud gets in the way and that stops him. Yeah, and, and even just similar, very similar to Nick Carter, he has that same sort of look and attitude, the lived-in stoicism throughout the whole thing, and it always still feels like it matches 
him regardless of whether he's being naive you know following orders or if he is actually being proactive and you know solving the case it it feels like a very confident character yeah although i praise the bad guy for going way over the top i think what i like about the the inspector or the commissar and uh, and also nick carter nick carter to a lesser extent even though we don't speak the language you can tell that there's a supreme amount of subtlety to his performance because yeah, he could have played this like Chris Farley, like the overtop fat guy who's running around not knowing what's going on, oblivious or uh, dumb guy. But he does play it with this sense of real like, yeah, I know what's going on. I'm just going to sit here and eat my sausage and just uh he doesn't overdo it and he has a real subtlety to his performance in which a lot of his gags were just his hangdog expression at something. Just his mustache, uh, you know, just sitting there on his face, kind of framing it with yeah. an expression in which he's just a neutral expression, but those eyes, the jowls, the mustache, the hat, it just told me everything I needed to know, and that would make me laugh more so than... Uh, yeah, you're nailing it. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> more so than a lot of the other things that are so wacky in the movie. There's a subtlety that even us who don't speak the language can see from him and nick carter has that too yeah and even for me like because i i do speak polish and there are a lot of similarities i did kind of hear at least like the formality in a lot of the language so that mm. kind of added to the characters um and like you said uh miwash kopecki the villain mm. um we love him from lemonade joe he's the villain in that and i think he steals the show in that movie for sure oh yeah um he's like this very trickster magiciany character in a wild west story and in this obviously he is also being very silly and uh, he, was he in the other two films yeah we've seen as well? he's been in all of them except for uh four, four murders are enough darling <laughs> four murders are enough darling yeah he wasn't in that one, but yeah, he's all, he always has just so much going on. That's fun. Like when I was clicking on a couple of the actors on the IMDB page, you know, everyone had like, you know, their normal list of things like selected filmography, whatever. He was the one that had like three columns. Yeah. Like he's just done so much in theater and film. And yeah, you really get the sense that this guy is a professional and he's just great at, you know, physical comedy and also just acting in general, it seems. Yeah, and he knows how to play a bad guy. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's... You mentioned Soviet Western earlier. You're... The character that you played was very, very much based on that character <laughs> <laughs> in, uh, in Lemonade Joe. We should probably talk about the villain and his plan and like how it all unfolds and the rationing out of information and the reveal of it all, because that's what this is. You know, This is the detective story. We've got to figure out what the villain's up to. We know that a plant's going to be involved pretty early on. The, the dog, I love that it's revealed that it was a dog that's missing, and he, Nick Carter's like, <sighs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's, okay, a it, dog. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's talked about in vague terms, and then it's revealed it's a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what did you guys think of the villainous side of the story here? Baron Rupert von Kratzmar. <laughs> I mean, how do you have a movie like this? You can have a great protagonist and have him be funny and charming, you have a great sidekick, but it really comes together with a good villain. Um, and I felt that this guy is funny in a way and he steals the show. He's got a lot of good scenery chewing without being annoying. And uh, his backstory was hilarious and classic in a way. <laughs> very petty. <laughs> yeah, very, very petty. Um, how did you feel about him, Magellan? And also, Bartek, Magellan, you guys are teachers. Are you ever worried that you could create this man? <laughs> you flunked a kid. Flunked a kid, and they 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 become a super criminal out of spite to help you. 
Is is that what the grandpa was his teacher? Is that what was yeah. happening there? Yeah, yeah, he was the one who okay. flunked him. And he's like he took well, botany that- class and he flunked him and he's like, I spent so much money trying to get better and I like went broke and I had to commit go to crime to make to do my projects and I hate you for that. Yeah, <laughs> and I've made this plan to eat you because fuck you. I, I like the little added touch of like when he mentioned like, oh, there was a student that did this or thought this, and then his imme- the teacher's immediate reaction was like, oh, so right that I failed him. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like he <laughs> hasn't changed. <laughs> also, his last name is Bocek, which is Polish for bacon, and he was going to be a meal, so that's a bit of funny there. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, I love him. I love uh, but yeah, in all seriousness, he's petty. That's the villain's motivation. Like to kill the dog, it was because it pissed on his spats. That's why he killed the dog because he's petty. He's like, I've got to test it on something human-like and big enough. This dog pissed pissed on me, and now has pissed me off. I'm going to feed the dog to a plant. I love that the reveal is oh. There's that moment too, it's almost gothic, where he wakes up in the middle of the night from a nightmare and he's like screaming about something or other and we don't understand. And then he walks over to this cabinet and he opens it and there's the framed report and we don't know what it is. And he's like, I shall get my revenge. And he screams it and there's like cuts to the exterior and there's a guy outside like shaking his head in worry and walks away. It's like old school movie like villain and then the reveal is he was looking at the report that he like his failure he was looking at the teacher's <laughs> marking of a failure and he's kept it all these years uh-huh. <laughs> and then he makes the old man eat it which was also well he doesn't make the old man eat no it, he thinks we? it's the old man but they got the old man actor to eat yes, paper that's in front true, of us yeah. and it was very very amusing <laughs> to me I um had a great time with that. I thought he was particularly good, and um, I liked his backstory too. I love the animation when they showed mm. the cute little backstory of how he robbed places with his plants. I thought that was a clever way of getting around any budgetary constraints, and also just period piece. It adds to it all. Yeah, and, and even like what we were talking about earlier with like, oh, this is an adaptation of a book series or whatever it was. That felt like, oh, they're they're animating the panels kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a cool visual moment yeah anything else we want to point out about the film any particular scenes or moments or comedy things or anything negative we want to talk about things that didn't work um there's that joke where the chamberlain is like i'm finally gonna have my way with kvetska that i wasn't a huge fan of when the villain's assistant was like oh she's asleep can i have my turn and i was like okay we didn't i already know that these guys are bad i don't need like that plot line gets used to show me that people are bad all the time. Mm. That was that was my but one then real the plant like, eats him. Yeah, and that's great. I like that that close on it. Um, also, I really really want to watch the movie where uh, Carter finds the missing pyramids or whatever the epilogue implies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need that. I think my only negative is that I just had a hard time fully following the logic of the plot but i think that was like me not reading the subtitles closely enough so i can't really hold that against the film we also had bad kind of rough subtitles the amazon subtitles are not yeah they, they were a little shaky at times um a, a couple moments that i thought were pretty funny when uh nick carter shows his ability to to break a chair in half in a single blow he like goes <laughs> so to spar good. with his buddy and he just slaps him in the face across the room. <laughs> he like flies across the room, and Nick Carter's like, "Hey, 
don't you guys box in this country? <laughs> and he's like, we prefer to slap each other. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Um, and then uh, another great stop motion plant moment when it like is able to unbutton his shirt or whatever with the plant vine. I was like, that looked cool and like realistic. I don't know. That was sweet. Yeah. And then uh, my last thing is there was this random moment where the gardener, the subtitle said, I shall now launch the devilish machine of my revenge or yeah. something like that. Pretty good line. Oh. Pretty good translation. Another one of those like, this is too smart for this movie. No, it's <laughs> yeah. smart enough. I loved it. It's smart enough for this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Anything from you, Bartek? Any moments? I mean, this is your rewatch of it for the first time. Anything that you feel like you want to bring up? Um, it's a really minor moment. I've already talked about how the beginning of the film is very playful and how it's establishing itself. But one of the things in that first uh, scene where they're still in the American office is just the very simple fact that they're talking about uh, Prague and the, the Slovakian language that they speak there as if it's completely unknown to them while they are currently speaking Czech. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's true. I love that gag. That's a good one. I'm trying to think. This, this is just one of those movies that every scene is great to me. There's not a, like a weak scene. There's not like a moment. There's a couple in Lemonade Joe that are, even though I think I like Lemonade Joe more... Uh, this just flows together so nicely. The comedy just keeps ramping up, ramping up. I even like the genuine moments of tension and uh, shots like when uh, Nick Carter arrives at the house with the, the grandfather and the girl and then uh, the Baron arrives and Nick Carter is obscured by the, 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 the hanging lights and uh, mm, yeah. the reveal and the genuine tension and then the comedy of the Baron being like, ooh, my headache, ooh, it's a family curse. They also <laughs> reuse a gag from Lemonade Joe where Nick Carter gets paralyzed and they carry him in like the position that he got paralyzed yeah, in. Yeah, he's like stiff as a board and they just carry him. That was amazing. To talk about this stop motion too, I, I, I love they didn't puss out. They showed us the plant eating Nick Carter and shoving the feet in and they didn't puss out. Like throughout the movie, they've been cutting away and implying, but when they, you got to get to the money shot and they fucking spent it. They showed it and I was impressed beyond belief. Also, I love the little uh, sound effects and music cues. like to, We keep going back to that opening, even though the opening to me is like, yeah, it's good. I love the opening. But there's that moment where he's throwing things out the window and there's like these weird, like lasery sci-fi sound effects as he throws them out the window. <laughs> it's like, why did they make these choices? I don't know, but I love it. And like, I really love also when the film would show flashbacks and some of them would be like, pictures but then some of them would be the actors standing still and then it's always in tinted colors and then like i said when the woman starts crying recounting this story the image starts to shake up and down and then it just disappears because she's cried it she stopped telling the story now because <laughs> the, she's crying so the story much. with the dog in it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also I fucking love the whole relationship she has with this massive dog. Just everything we hear about this massive dog. That the, the payoff at the end is she has a really small dog now. <laughs> with the same name. With the same name. It's like this really tiny little <laughs> dog. And it's like, okay, you went the exact opposite way around to get to here. But I enjoy it. And 
Yeah, I uh, I can't think of much else that stands out. I think this is just a a really well made movie. Oh, a f- a personal favorite shot when the spies start being introduced and there's the guy painting, and then he opens up the painting and there's like a cutout and the camera pans up and zooms through the cutout into the scene that he's watching. They didn't need to do that. They didn't need to put that much effort in, but I appreciate that they put the effort in. It made me have a great time, and it made me think about how they did that shot. Rarely do you ever watch a comedy, especially with this, a spoof, a parody. Rarely are you ever thinking, I wonder how they did those shots. I wonder how they staged this. I wonder how they did the filmmaking. That's what we keep coming back to with these Czech films, is... They're comedies, they don't need to go to all of this effort, but they do because they're filmmakers first. And they're not just lazy, and they're not just phoning in, they're not just shot, reverse shot, gag, let Peter Sellers fall over the place all the time, right? They're, They're using the visual medium and the art form to enhance upon the jokes, as well as just be... Uh, good artists like there's like Magellan said. There's just shots that you could just screen cap this because like this is beautiful. This is a beautiful piece. This makes Prague look like a place I want to visit. That's also a part of it. Is like this is a promotional for promotion for Prague. Like, do you want to come here <laughs> and solve mysteries <laughs> and eat sausages and have the best beer ever? <laughs> <laughs> don't go to Egypt. They might have the beer, but they don't know how to pour it. <laughs> yeah, they don't know how to pour it. <laughs> Um, I guess the question to ask for you two guys is, are you at all interested in checking out other Czech and Czechoslovakian movies? Czech? (laughs) Sorry, that joke is so easy, I'm not even going to do it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm curious, like, what are the classics? Because this is obviously, like, going into the realm of of, uh, satire and parody but like, what is a good serious Czech film like? Yeah, I'm super curious. So about you're that. more interested in checking out more dramatic rather than more comedic. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I enjoyed this a lot and I appreciated what it was doing. But I think, like, I almost prefer the cinematography to the comedy, even though it was extremely funny and those things work in tandem. I was like, oh, a film like this, but an actual like spy film would be amazing like in check and everything that'd be super cool interesting i've never yeah i don't know i think i'm just so enamored with the effort they put into the comedy that i've never really bothered to venture out into the more dramatic stuff i'm just more like give me more of this stuff more of more lemonade joe more dinner for adele give me more four murders are enough darling like i have now Three or four of them I haven't watched because I want to watch them together in a group and with mm. lockdown I haven't had the chance. But that's an interesting point. What about you, Majal? How do you feel about that? Because uh, you you said earlier that you would rather check out more dramatic stuff when it comes to a foreign language thing. Is that still the case here with the Czechs? Or do you think you will be a little bit more inclined to want to actually check out other comedies from this area? Um, I mean, I think what I really liked about this film was how inventive it was with the medium of film itself with the sort of like materials within the world all these devices and like you know oh another funny moment that we didn't talk about but like the sausage steam that knocked nick carter out (laughs) and then the guy poured chloroform in the like the Mm -hmm. big top of the platter anyway Mm -hmm. i thought that was really funny um but that and just the the like visual moments and and this being a comedy that's driven so much by by things and by actions 
make made it feel more accessible to me. I don't know how much of the unconventional nature of this and that brand of comedy is like inherently a Czech cinema thing versus just like this director this movie, this director, other maybe directors inspired by it, whatever. Um, so I would love to watch more movies like this. If there's more to be had, it sounds like Lemonade Joe is maybe in the in the ballpark. Yeah, this, sure, yeah. So you guys on Amazon have a few more of this director's work, and I don't know if it would also include other directors from the Czech Republic. And as of today, looking, there's a few of them now on YouTube with English subtitles as well. There's this one that we like, and we've only seen it once, Bartek, that we forget the name of, but it's a Jules Verne adaptation. It's got the same main actor, right? Yeah, the same main actor. Nick Carter returns, the villain returns in that. It's like the castle of something being with the sea. Yeah, Carpathia or whatever. And uh, that's on YouTube now. It's like fairly decent quality. It's not the highest, not 1080p, but it's still like to be able to get these films relatively with ease is something that I also think is why people should actually check them out. Like, if you guys in America can just watch Lemonade Joe on a service that you already have, that would be great. I, back in the day, had to look through other means and it was like, even through those other means, it was actually easy to get with subtitles and with good quality. It's like people out there like these movies and want to make sure that everyone can watch them. And I think, yeah, like, you guys should check out Lemonade Joe or check out uh, the Jules Verne one and maybe even check out some of the other serious, uh, some serious ones. I think, you know, this isn't, like, when we talk foreign films, you guys mentioned, you may, we all mentioned, like, the normal foreign film choice countries, South Korea, Japan, France, Italy, India. China, India. Who's saying Czech? I want to. I want to check out the Czech cinema scene. Nobody's saying that. Nobody in our realm is saying that, at least, except for me now. And um, I hope you guys do actually go out and see Lemonade Joe. It has a few more problematic elements, but it's, I think, a superior film. But I, that's my bias with it, uh, which we talked about in depth. But uh, I'm glad that we had you guys on for this and that you enjoyed it. I had no expectations of what you guys would think about this. I just went. I want to do another Czech movie and I want to have some different guests on to basically introduce just more people to this side of the world and this era and this type of comedy and see, is it just me and Bartek who like this? Hmm. Because Uh we have similar tastes in humor, Bartek and I. And I want to know, or is this just genuinely compelling and good on its own merits? And thus far, it seems like with Lemonade Joe and this, there's enough of its own stuff to entice others than just me and you, Bartek. Yeah, very much so. Like, after, you know, we both watched Lemonade Joe the first time, then we were kind of on the same page of like, okay, second film we watch will be Dinner for Adele. Let's watch it with a group and also together at the same Mm. time. Um, And then since then, we have really had this desire to, like, share this cinema with others. So, like, with... I almost called it Soviet Western, with Lemonade Joe, you know, we had uh, two other American podcasters on as guests because, like, hey, you guys haven't seen one of these kind of films. Let us share this thing we love with you, and we're doing the same in this episode with you guys. Um, And, yeah, and with the movie nights as well, where we invite other people to see them with us, we do kind of want to, yeah, share this thing that we've discovered over the past seven years, in a way. And that's the benefit of 
exploring different avenues of your usual tastes that you may find something new and you want to actually engage with it. Many people are finding that now with South Korean cinema with movies like Parasite and The Handmaiden and back in the day Old Boy. People wanting to actually engage with things that isn't their usual standard of movies or entertainment and that's what we have had because one day I wondered uh, is there such thing as a Soviet Western and then a Czech film popped up saying yes and there's a comedic one at that too. And then it's opened up at a completely wonderful avenue that I just want to take the chat's people down one. I want to take the contrarians. I don't know who's next when we do the Jules Verne one. I just want to keep bringing (laughs) more people on for this ride. I think it's really cool. And I do want to be like Alan and actually check out more serious ones. I have on occasion, and they're like the the Baron Munchausen one. That's a silent film for the most part. It's a lot of just visuals. It's a lot of look at this stunning uh, practical way that we've shown him flying across the galaxy because he's been shot by a cannon. That kind of thing is really interesting, but I haven't seen any quote-unquote dramas of a, of a variety that maybe Alan was wanting to look at. But I I think this is a, a country that, gosh, I just don't hear people talk about the cinema from here and maybe even just this era, but yet it's so... Not too much, yeah, Slavic cinema in general. No, no, but uh, I think that's it for dinner for Adele. Adele hasn't had her supper yet and all the various titles... Pick one. Prague takes Nick Carter. <laughs> Nick Carter takes on Prague. Nick Carter goes to Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> he leaves Manhattan. Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, are we all interested to hear what we, Bartek and I, will be covering on the next episode? Are we all keen to know? Yeah, I'm, I'm keen. keen. In a weird way, I'm not. You're not peachy keen? <laughs> no, let's hear it. So, we had our 300th episode a little while ago. Yeah, about seven episodes. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So, we could not, unfortunately, do what we usually do when it comes to that, which is we like to have a guest on our good friend Will, and we cover a Paul Giamatti movie or movie with Paul Giamatti in it. Due to the restrictions, we couldn't do that when our 300th came, and we also were in the middle of October, so we're doing horror movies. But now things are happening that we can. We're going to use our Listening People's episode to do that. We're going to have our friend Will on, hopefully next week, if everything goes good, to cover the Paul Giamatti Clive Owen film, Shoot 'em Up. Mm. In which one <laughs> trivia fact I learned is it's the movie in which Paul Giamatti handled the handled a gun for the first time. He's like, I've never been in a movie where I've had to shoot before. <laughs> and I'm like, I would watch the behind the scenes of Paul Giamatti be like, how do I use this fucking gun? And they're you like, wanna, Paul, Paul, <laughs> calm down. We're going to teach you. You want to see the first take. I want to see the first take. Yeah. I, I do see, too. I want to see Paul Giamatti on the phone being told, you're in an action movie. I want to see that phone call. <laughs> I want to see... The actor from Sideways and Big Fat Liar being told, you're going to be an action guy. I want to see that phone call. So <laughs> shoot em up is what we'll be talking about next time. Make sure to check it out in the interim so that you can w- listen to us talk about it pretty easily. Bartek, wonderful chatting. Check films with you. Chats, again, same sentiment, and we'll love to have you again sometime down the line. You guys are currently covering Twin Peaks The Return, which are... 
Bartok and I both enjoyed very much. We, we've talked about that in full on our podcast in the past. So uh, I hope that you guys can uh, keep managing to go through that because I'm currently, you know, I've been listening to the show. You guys have been covering the you know, original run of Twin Peaks and it's been quite a... And you guys can talk about this as you plug uh, where you guys are at, but it's been quite a tumultuous journey for you guys when it comes to the original run of Twin Peaks. And uh, I'm curious of how you guys are going to be when it comes to the return. Tough, tough. You've presented me with a tough conversational option. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll say this. Um, Twin Peaks is very near and dear to my heart. It has led to uh, the burgeoning friendship with uh, my buddy, my other buddy, Ryan, the other Ryan from Chats, um, who has now been helping us cover Twin Peaks The Return. And uh, just really special to me and what I think about when I think about like good television. And, uh, you know, we hit that second season and we said, oh, this is not even bad in in the ways we thought, but it's interesting. And at the end of the day, that's what I always want for a good chat show is interesting, meaningful television that makes us think. And Twin Beasts has continued to provide. And I genuinely hope that people uh, check it out, watch the show with us and uh, find something meaningful out of that. Because what else what else is there? Right. We're looking for meaning in this crazy world. Yeah. You guys are out there, so people look up in our description. We'll have this information too. Chats, a television podcast, or Peak Chats uh, is what you're named currently. And you guys are on Twitter, yeah? Yeah, we're at Chatspot on Twitter. We're Peaks Chats, technically, with an S, just so people don't get mixed up. C-H-A-T-Z's, Chats, um, at Chatspot on Twitter. Um, And we have a Patreon if you like our work as well. We have patreon.com slash chatspod um and that's where all of our work our bonus work uh gets made and produced fantastic uh bartek how do you want to wrap us out how do you want to do this we covered dinner for adele how do you want to finish this bad boy off bye-bye very pleasant just a pleasant bye-bye Bye bye. I'm off to Egypt now, <laughs> and I'm reading how to re- how to speak Egyptian. Egyptian, quick and easy. <laughs> yeah, Egyptian, quick and easy. And then my double comes and takes my place and does the real farewell. Bartek, at the end of this journey, his double finds a romantic love interest, and the and the music swells and a pink light shines <laughs> on them as they look off into the distance. <laughs>